Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, Jason Churchill, Prospect Insider, joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Church, we were just talking Mariners um, about how just off-season training has changed so much. We had a clip from Jerry DePoto talking about how different it was from when he was a player to now. I actually want to start there just because I think it's really interesting. Um, What are some of the things uh, that you love about the way baseball has progressed just in terms of how players are able to adapt and change in the off-season? Yeah, there is no off season. That's really what this comes down to. Your season is over. You'll get pitchers take a couple of weeks off, and then they're thinking about, what do I do now? I study. Do I study my delivery? Do I work on new pitch grips? Do I like? There's really not an off season. There used to be an off season. It's been a little while. I'd say probably twenty, twenty five years or so, but it gets shorter and shorter every year. I think I like most how players are learning how to properly use technology and data to their advantage. Some of this data, some of this technology is new and it's really easy to misuse it and actually think it's working for you. And then, you know, you learn later on, well, I was doing this wrong. I was using this data wrong and players are becoming a lot smarter about it. Professional clubs are becoming smarter about it. High schools and colleges are becoming smarter about it. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. We're getting more of the scouting community as well is using both sides of this. So it's becoming that much more advantageous for players to go out on their own away from their clubs, even during the season to work on things, to do things. Uh, you know, a major league baseball team only has so many coaches. There's only one Perry Hill. There's, there's only one people or there's only, there's only one Scott service. You know, so they can only do so much if a player wants to do something else on the side, even during the season at the all-star break or on a day off, Mm -hmm. they have to go find somewhere else, you know, to do that. They can't rely on that, that one coach or that one person in the organization that has all these other players, you know, to coach. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, you know, it, it can be overwhelming at times, but I do enjoy seeing players find ways to get better on their own away from their teams, especially veterans, because we kind of expect young players to do that. Got to find a way to break camp with the big club. Got to find a way to get from A ball to double A. But now we're, find, we're seeing guys that are 32 years old, 33 years old, figure something out for the first time in their career. I mean, Paul Seawald's a good example, you know, in their 30s, figuring something out because of technology or data or just extra work on the side away from a team. And then all of a sudden they become a viable player or they turn themselves from a viable player to an all-star or something like that. Robbie Ray is a good example of that. Jason, kind of going off of what you're talking about, I've, I compare golf and baseball when it comes to the athletes kind of changing, right? I look at golf and I feel like Tiger Woods led the charge when it comes to people taking care of their bodies because his physique, he's hitting it 300 plus easily. Was there a moment, maybe a player in baseball that you felt led the charge Ooh. after the PED era that was like, all right, well, you know, he, I like the way he looks at what he's doing. Maybe I should join the club and, and prepare that way. I like that question. Yeah, that is a good question. I, I don't know that he was any kind of a, you know, like the breakthrough guy or anything, but for me, uh, covering the game, Ben Zobrist stands out. Ben Zobrist was a marginal professional ball player in the minors. Uh, he could play shortstop. He could play second. He had the athleticism to play third, to play outfield, even center. But he couldn't hit. 
and he certainly couldn't hit with power. And he gets together with uh, away from the, his professional team, away from the organization in Tampa, and learns some things, learns about hand positioning at the plate with his swing. And then he goes back after a year or two after working on this, and boom, all of a sudden he's hitting 280, 290, 300, getting on base, and here comes some power showing up that he really had never shown before while hitting for average. And all of a sudden he turns into, turns into an all-star because we knew he had defensive value. We knew he could run a little bit, but play second, play short, play the outfield, be like this super utility guy, but also hit enough to stay in the lineup every day. That's the guy that stands out to me, and I guess that's been – uh, maybe what, 12, 13 years, something along those lines, maybe back to 09, uh, 2010, something mm-hmm. like that. He's the guy that stands out. I'm sure he wasn't the first one, but that's the first one that I kind of took notice of. Uh, Jason, some injury news uh, late yesterday. Taylor Trammell expected to miss six to seven weeks with a broken right hand. He's having surgery to repair it. Going to be back. Not a long-term issue. In the meantime, though, uh, some more security for Jared Kelnick. He's still going to have to compete with potentially Cade Marlowe, but this is a real opportunity for him to to once again, right, another chance for him to be able to solidify himself in that outfield and as part of this lineup. Do you find yourself as fascinated with him and his story and what he could do as I am and many fans are? I don't think so. Uh, for me, it's it's put up or shut up for Jared Kelnick. It, okay. it truly, truly is. And, and, and I kind of feel bad for saying that, but it, we're talking about a guy who's, he's had some chances, right? And, and it's not that he doesn't work hard, but he's one of those guys that came to pro ball kind of thinking he had it. Like he knew everything, like he was the man, uh, he was mad when he doesn't make the big club. He was mad when he has to wait for a call-up. Um, had some trouble, you know, dealing with adversity at the plate at the big league level. Uh, a little bit stubborn in his ways a little bit, but he does understand what the problems are with what's going on. He understands that timing really is everything. If you don't have your timing, nothing else matters mechanically. It doesn't matter if you have bat speed. It doesn't matter if you can identify pitches. It doesn't matter that you have hand-eye coordination. None of that matters if you don't have timing. So it's really put up or shut up. So while it's fascinating in a way, I'm kind of like, get me to June. Get me to mid-June because then I could just say, cool, Jared Kelnick's a thing. Because all all I really need him to to, to be is an average offensive player. Go out there and hit 230, uh, get on base 30% of the time because the power is going to support everything else, or go out there and go 260, 340, and have mild power. That's an average everyday left fielder. That's all Seattle needs him to be. That's all I really want to see. But if he's still struggling to make contact and we see the strikeout numbers, you know, 30-plus percent, and we're not seeing consistency, Seattle has to cut bait. And I'm not saying you DFA him. I'm saying you have to move on and go get a veteran. Not move on to Cade Marlowe. Not move on to Taylor Trammell. Go get a veteran. Because what's going to happen here is they're going to end up having to go to A.J. Pollock a lot more than they should. We're talking about a 35-year-old guy named A.J. Pollock who hasn't hit right-handers really all that well for a couple of years, certainly out of his prime, a guy you don't want to lean on in an everyday role, and they're already in a position right now where he's probably going to get more at-bats than is ideal, and if Kelnick struggles to the point they have to send him down, maybe Pollock continues to play more and more and more. They're a bat short at this point. Even if Kelnick hits, they're a bat short. So if Kelnick doesn't hit they're really kind of behind the eight ball and in a tough spot. So they're putting a lot on Jared Kelnick at this point. I understand why they're doing it. 
I don't really love how they supported that move by going out and still failing to fill that lineup with with viable, trustworthy, high-probability bats, veteran-proven guys. But with Kelnick, yeah, it's put-up-or-shut-up time. I, I don't want any of this... You know, hitting a buck 80, but hit nine home runs with a 35% strikeout rate. And all of a sudden, yeah, but he has so much potential and he's only 23. This club is ready to win. And if their left fielder doesn't support their efforts to, to, to win, to try and catch the Astros, to get back to the playoffs and do serious damage, they have to go get one who will. Jason, I look at this this roster and I don't see movement. I mean, you can pretty much predict who's going to be where opening day. But when you look at the young guys in this farm system, is there anybody who's making a push for the future that maybe we haven't heard about? Obviously, Harry Ford is a big name that we hear now. Uh, Marlowe is in the mix now. Is there anybody else who uh, fans should watch for in the near future? If we're talking the next like 2023 or early 2024, I, I don't see anyone. I, I really don't. It's Marlowe, maybe Zach Deloach, but I moved Deloach way down in my rankings over the last couple of years. We just haven't seen the production. 24 years old now, kind of stuck in double A, hasn't really performed there. He would be someone who, if he flipped the switch, maybe he kind of switches places with Cade Marlowe. Um, and becomes a little bit, uh, a little bit more of a, a, an option. But I don't see any any everyday guys. There's there's no more Julio's. There's no more what we think Jared Kelnick can be. Um, there's no more Cal Raleigh's down there. At least for a couple of years. I, to be honest with you, I've, I've heard Jerry Depoto speak of a couple of guys in the system that he thinks will impact the roster in 2024. And when I heard that he said this, I looked for context. Uh, I believe he said this on your station. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that Tyler Locklear and Cole Young could impact the 2024 team. And to be honest with you, I, I think that's a little crazy. I, I really do. I, I think it's a, that's a little out there. That's really pushing it. We're talking about an 18-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid who was drafted out of high school last year. Like, that's not something we should expect. Tyler Locklear is the other one. That one makes a little more sense as a college guy, but I still think we're talking about two years away. When you're talking about making an impact on the big league roster, it's not just showing up in September and getting 20 at bats against, you know, a bunch of other triple A guys, you know, cause you're facing Oakland and Detroit and things of that nature. I don't see it. They're a couple of years away. So when it comes to position players, they're going to need to go outside the organization over the next year or two to get impact help. They have some guys that can fill some holes you know, on the bench and in platoon spots like Marlowe, maybe Taylor Trammell, maybe that's what Kelnick turns out to be. But other Caden Polkovich, who's down in double A is more of a utility type, second base, maybe a little shortstop, a little third base. But they don't have a lot of everyday types that uh, that are within two or three years of the big leagues, let alone one. See, Jason, this is what I was so worried about and bump. Both of us were uh, hoping for more to be done in free agency and understood why some of the mega deals weren't signed by this team, but there were still bats that we would have loved to see them go after. And uh, I agree with you, and I'm probably speaking for a bump as well, that we were like, okay, this is the club heading into spring. This is what it is. There's a lot to be excited about, but – you're right. Like they're a bat short. If, if you wouldn't bet on this offense against, you know, some of the better teams in baseball. Thankfully for them, a lot of those teams are in the National League, and they just kind of have to hold off the Yankees and the Astros, and and uh, you know, try to stay toe to toe with with you know guys like the Blue Jays. But I mean, what do you do? Like what what now? I mean, I guess there's the mid season trade deadline, but I mean, what needs to happen to feel better about that? 
Yeah, I think what Seattle did with with Pollock, with uh, and and especially with Tommy Listella and maybe Colin Moran, Kate Marlowe could come into play here, Taylor Trammell as well, is try to buy time. The, the trade market never really developed for the outfield DH types, uh, unless you wanted a pure DH, which this team really did not. They did not want a pure DH, and I completely understand that. Yeah. I think they they were hoping not just Brian Reynolds, but some other guys out there, the market would develop in terms of making a deal, and it just didn't. So now they're buying time. But I also have heard some folks talk. I think it was Jeff Passan on your station talking about how, hey, if this doesn't work, you just, you know, for a couple of months, you just go make a deal. Well, good luck trying to convince clubs across Major League Baseball in early June to trade you a good everyday player when they're still in it with the extra wild card and just like almost everybody is in it in June that nobody's really selling hard in June. And if they do, it's going to cost you dearly. You're going to pay 150 cents on the dollar at that point. So I think the club that Seattle starts the season with is the club they're going to have through the all-star break. I don't think there's going to be a major deal in May or June to add that bat to the lineup. It's certainly not a trade situation. You're not going to be able to go to Cincinnati or Pittsburgh or Detroit and get them that early in the season to trade you a good player. You could take a flyer on someone and go do the Denard Span, Alex Colomay thing that they did in 2018. That, I believe, happened in the last week of May or so. You can do something like that, but if you're looking for a legit everyday guy, you're going to have to wait until July and probably uh, up against the deadline after the All-Star break. So this is probably the team. If they don't make a move in the next month, that's probably the team Seattle's going to have, for better or worse, for the first four months of the season. Why value, genuinely asking, uh, making a trade over free agency? Is it just that you thought that there might be – do you think the team saw just better fits for them that would be available via trade versus free agency? I Actually, the, the, the one free agent that I think kind of got away from Seattle, I'm not sure how much interest they had in him, and maybe they were worried about the medicals, and, and you know we have heard since uh, – uh, pitchers and catchers have reported um, uh, about some of the position guys that are a little behind schedule. Michael Conforto is one of those coming off the shoulder. I, I thought if you're telling me Michael Conforto is going to report to spring training healthy, yet to be seen, and maybe he's not, that deal that he signed was so up the Mariners' alley to me, and he was the perfect guy. Not a great defender, but he can play left, he can play right, Um but a left-handed bat. And that's actually what they're missing now. They've kind of loaded up on right-handers, which I totally understand. There's a lot of lefties in their division, but they're still going to face 60% right-handed starters. They lack left-handed pop. Michael Conforto would have been that guy for me. That, that deal, 18 million guaranteed, I believe it is, with, uh, with a player opt-out, it couldn't have been in two years, and $36 million. That's a deal I would have handed. Again, unless my medical staff says not, we don't like this, that's a deal I would have handed Michael Conforto any day of the week. All right. He is Jason Church- Churchill at Prospect Insider on Twitter. Check out his work at prospectinsider.com, and make sure you are listening to his podcast. He's the host of Baseball Things. New episode dropped on the 10th, and he talks about uh, that backup plan in left field as well as the Mariners' rotation in that episode. Thank you so much, Church. Thanks, Church. Anytime. Yeah. All right. That was Jason Churchill, kind enough to join us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. A little Thursday afternoon church service. Taking you to church. Taking you to church. If we ever have Jason on regularly, yeah, we got to do a taking you to church segment. 
He keeps it real. I mean, he I was does. surprised when I said, are you excited about Jared Kelnick? Nah, nah not really. <laughs> <laughs> Put up or shut up. <laughs> Headline number one, former Seahawks quarterback coach Dave Canales has been hired by the Buccaneers to be their new offensive coordinator. What's the real headline? As a wise man once said, hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your free agent quarterbacks. Hide those QBs. Why wouldn't he DM Gino at 12 midnight, March 15th? Slide into those DMs. Hey, D- hey Gino, you up? What you doing? And it's, it's nice here you. in Florida. Yeah, what Just is you? you? you it's, up? it's nice here in Florida. Oh, you good? Hey, hey, Drew, what's going on, man? You know, you got to have, my mom always told me, let's go, you got to have a plan A, B, and C, whatever you do. All right, sometimes you get to plan C and it works out for you. So Canales is going to have a plan. And who else is out there for him? You got Derek Carr, whole lot of money. You got Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Jimmy Garoppolo, Teddy Bridgewater might be a bridge quarterback, pun intended. Mm-hmm. You got Daniel Jones, he's going back. Case Keenum, there's not a lot out there for you. You got to start at home. I think he will. <laughs> Headline rewrites. Headline number two in Denver, Sean Payton could be hiring former Jets head coach Rex Ryan as his defensive coordinator. What's the real headline? Between him and John Elway, there could be a lot of teeth in that organization right now. Curly. That's a lot. Curly whites. I love looking at them smile. Yeah. You know? it's, it's enchanting. The perfect smile. It's just You just watch them talk. But this is this is the NFL for you. Stacy. if I ever get on, if I blow up somehow and they say, hey, who you bringing with you? Yeah. I'm bringing Stacy. I'm bringing Curtis. That's what the NFL is. It's like once you're in, you're going to bring your boys. They'll always be employed. Yep. You're going to take care of each other. It's a fraternity. And let's not forget, Rex Ryan's had some good years. He's the DCF Baltimore, right, through 05 to 08. Defense was ranked fifth, first, sixth, and second. Then he goes over to New York. He's, he's a part of the butt fumble. Mr. Mark Sanchez over there. Through 09 to 12, their defense was pretty good. First, eighth. Fifth and six. He can coach some defense. Has the game passed him by? I don't think so because he's extremely involved with his analysis and whatnot. This is what you do in business and in the NFL. You bring your boys with you. Also, it's not like a how hard is it kind of thing because every job in the NFL is hard for players, for coaches, for anyone. Right. But he is working with a pretty nice defense. They didn't finish the season ranked number one, though they were through uh, mm-hmm. well into the first half. But he's still got a lot of pieces to he play with. Got something to here. work with. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. not like he's inheriting a group where it's like, Rex, do your best. It's, hey, Rex, don't mess it up. He ain't going to Houston. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah, the Broncos? Not a build a defense. <laughs> not a build a defense. Just don't let this collapse. Exactly. Okay? Just make sure it stays good. Mm-hmm. Headline rewrite. Headline number three, Ohio State has canceled their 2024 and 2025 home-and-home series with Washington. What's the real headline? The call is coming from inside the house. It's a headline that doesn't immediately make sense until I tell you that while Ohio State probably doesn't want to make an extra West Coast trip if they're already scheduled to take on either UCLA or USC on the road, UCLA and USC probably doesn't want to see Washington get the national spotlight when they're all competing for West Coast recruits. It's the enemy within. You know what the timing of this is? It's it's me when I take a long shower and my wife has come back from working out. And she goes, you used all the hot water? That's so inconsiderate. That's what this is. so inconsiderate. You respect UW is what you say, AD Gene over there. No, you don't. It's inconsiderate because you know how hard it is to schedule games. Mm -hmm. We talked to Nigel earlier. He said some 
Some schedules are set 10 years in advance. You look at 2028, UW already has their season lined yes. up. So it's extremely inconsiderate. Now you listen to them talk. We don't want to make the extra trip to the West. Y'all just scared to come out here and deal with that don't time that difference. Smoke. You don't want that smoke. And UW is in a great place right now. I think they're going to get more recruits. And um, if they take care of home, UW will be okay. But Ohio State, inconsiderate. I know. You don't respect it. Stop lying. It is what it is. You double be all right. I did find it so fascinating during our conversation with Nigel Burton, who's a Pac-12 analyst, that when he was talking about the Blue Bloods, and it's like uh, his, um, not analogy, his story, an example of Alabama finally scheduling, uh, you know, like a game against Texas and then traveling to Texas and very nearly losing that game. Wasn't yeah. it like a last second field goal, something crazy? Mm-hmm. Uh, very nearly losing that game. And it's like these schools get away with the wackest schedules and like so and playing so many weak teams within their own conference and no one bats an eye yeah. I mean and the, the thing is I don't want any anything to do with Georgia I don't want anything to do with nah. Alabama like those are legitimately great teams but it is kind of a bummer that for a school like Washington you have to prove no I can hang with the best when a lot of these schools just kind of take on like weak opponents. You beat Michigan State when they were ranked 11. Yeah. Uh, Michigan had, had to pull out because of COVID, I believe. Something's going down. You got Ohio State lined up. UW is trying to play in the sandbox with the big boys. They're, you cannot say they are not trying to do that. But that flight scares some dudes. And then you see what DeBoer is doing. And you're looking at him saying, I don't know, man. This used to be a, a guaranteed win for us. No mas. I just hate when literally geographic stuff is standing in the way. Nothing you can do about being on the West Make Coast. Make the trip. Leave on, leave on a Thursday then. Yeah. Online just, school. These dudes have laptops. Yeah. Their assignments in. That classic Midwest and East Coast and Southeast and South Bias. <laughs> And Northeast and, and, yeah, North Dakota and East. You're telling it. (laughs) Preaching to the choir over here. This hour of Bump and Stacy is brought to you by Muckleshoot Casino. Um, Earlier, we brought on Nigel Burton to kind of talk about how we were all feeling about it. Now we're going to bring on Mike Varell of the Seattle Times, who's covering this story for the Times, to talk about where Washington goes from here. That's next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. Ohio State canceled its football series for 2024 and 2025 against Washington the other day. They'll pay a $500,000 fine for initiating the cancellation. In the meantime, Washington is stuck without a non-conference Power 5 opponent, at least not a really, really elite one until 2028. He's been covering the story for the Seattle Times, and he covers UW football regularly. It's Mike Varell joining us now in the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Mike, earlier we talked with Pac-12 analyst Nigel Burton about how we're feeling, talking with you now about what happens afterwards. So, I mean, what's the latest with Washington? Are are they going to be able to find an opponent, or are they just out of luck? Well, I mean, it's not about whether they can play 12 games in the season. I mean, if they have to, they can schedule an FCS opponent. They can fill that gap. It's more about that idea of, you know, if you're Washington in the Pac-12 conference, as it currently states, can you play the premier non-conference opponent that they want to play? Where, you know, I know that their athletic director, Jen Cohen, has stated that they'd like to play a premier non-conference opponent each season. And if you're a Pac-12 program, I mean, that's important for national exposure and recruiting and getting your, you know, your product in front of uh, people who are doing rankings, all those things. So, I mean, there's less incentive for a big 10 program who's in this power conference 
to want to travel out west to maybe lose to a Washington in Seattle and take that upon themselves, especially when they may already be traveling to Los Angeles to play UCLA or USC in a Big Ten conference game. So, you know, Washington wants to play these games. The issue is, does it make sense? Does it benefit an Ohio State or a Michigan or a Big Ten power or an SEC power to want to come to Seattle? Does that provide enough incentive for those schools to continue to want to make those marriages? Obviously, it's uh, Mike, it's disappointing that Ohio State backed out of this thing, but you mentioned something, and it made me think, Is should there's a silver lining here. I'm trying to find it. Does UW, should they see this as a compliment? Like, look, it's a long trip for them. They're scared. UW is, is moving in the right direction. They respect them so much and kind of fear them and don't want to blemish their record that they don't want to make the trip and, and face UW. Is there is that the silver lining? I, I think there is some of that where, you know, I don't know that Ohio State wouldn't have canceled it if UW was, you know, 4-8 and eight last season. But I do think there's an element of, you know, Ohio State is already playing this rigorous Big Ten schedule that may include travel to the West Coast, which they've never had to do before. Do you want to add on to that by playing a Washington team that might beat you? When you saw what Washington did against Michigan State last season, and also the fact that historically, you know, Big Ten teams, SEC teams coming West, it has not gone very well. There's a reason why it's been so hard even before this for Washington to schedule those teams, specifically for them to come to Washington, to come to Husky Stadium, because those teams don't win those games very often, and they don't need those games. I mean, and Ohio State makes plenty of money as it is. They would rather schedule an eighth home game against a cupcake FCS team, hopefully run the table in the Big Ten and make it to the playoff, rather than putting themselves out on a limb for a game they don't really need. Is this going to be something where Washington and other Pac-12, Pac-10 schools are now going to have to um, just be a little more lenient and maybe accept a road game or two that they wouldn't normally do? Well, that's what they've done in the the past. Because, I mean, there have been some previous examples of this, not necessarily for the same reasons. But, you know, Washington was supposed to have a home-and-home against Wisconsin in, in 2018 and 2021. Wisconsin backed out of that in 2014 because of scheduling issues. Washington didn't have a lot of time. Of course, they had more time than they have now, but they didn't have a lot of time to fill those gaps and what they agreed to. They ended up playing Auburn in a quote-unquote neutral site game, which wasn't neutral in any way, which was in, uh, I guess it was the Georgia Dome or whatever the version of that was in 2018. So they essentially played a road game. Um, in Auburn territory without any return game coming to Husky Stadium because it still was that money-grabbing, attention-grabbing non-conference matchup. Will they have to do that to fill in a blank? Um, I think if they have an opportunity like that, they probably will jump on it in 2024 or 2025 because they still want to play these games. The issue is that it's hard to win when you're just constantly accepting deals to go to the South or go to the Midwest without teams returning to Seattle. Mm -hmm. Mike, they uh, they missed out on an opportunity with Turner, um, a uh, broadcasting deal. Turner pulls out, and they don't cover college football, so I feel like they missed out on a big opportunity. Is there any way that you think Turner's looking for a deal elsewhere? Like, how significant is it that they were not able to get this deal done with Turner? I honestly don't think that Turner was going to be that big of a factor because of the things you said, and, and I don't know how serious they were about jumping into that market. A lot of what we've heard, recently has been that Amazon is going to be a big piece of this. And obviously ESPN will be a piece of this. 
But I think, you know, obviously I'm not in those rooms, so I can't give that expertise. But I do know the longer this drags on, the more dubious it is for the Pac-12. And when you're in Washington and you do feel like you have a lot of value, and all of a sudden Ohio State says that it's going to pay $500,000 or more just to not play you, and you don't have a media deal, when you wonder why teams get uncomfortable and why they start to look around, these are the reasons. So not to say that Washington will, will do that, but if they're looking for reasons to want to look for a different situation, uh, they're getting some reasons here recently. Uh, we're speaking with Mike Varell, who covers the Huskies for the Seattle Times, and he's also been on top of this story about Ohio State canceling its football series with Washington for 2024 and 2025. Mike, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say uh, Larry Scott just seemed like the worst. And uh, when he finally left and George Klyovkov took over, I think that I, like many other people, had some hope that things would change and that the conference would start getting healthier. And it feels like it's continued to just be downhill despite, um, you know, more regionally programs feeling better. Like Washington has felt like a more exciting program last year. Um, but the health of the conference is still a problem. Uh, is that a Klyovkov thing? Is it that he inherited a bad situation? I mean, why haven't we seen kind of the improvement that so many people were hoping for there with the switch at leadership? I think a lot of it is just how you define that, because like you said, um, the football product was clearly better last year. And a lot of that is when you have a lot of the best quarterbacks in the country in the same conference, the, the quality of play improves and the perception of the conference improves. And that was certainly the case. It was the best football season for the Pac-12 uh, in years and provided a lot of optimism. At the same time, like you said, they're not getting a media deal done. The Big 12 jumped ahead of the Pac-12 to accept a deal that maybe wasn't uh, prolific in terms of the numbers compared to what they might have wanted, but they they locked that in ahead of the Pac-12, which may be creating some issues in in negotiations. So I do think maybe some mistakes have been made. It'll be interesting to see when this deal happens, what it looks like, and it'll be interesting to see if other programs are getting antsy. But it's certainly a contradiction when – you know, one, one aspect of it, the on-field product does seem to be improving to some degree, but the outside perception of the Pac-12 is so damaged at this point that it's hard to negotiate from any place of power. Mike, I don't know how much you've been looking at the recruiting class for UW, but what have you heard? I know they were able to sign the best DB in the state, a kid out of Rainier Beach. Um, are they making some moves there? Are they, are they changing um, the way that UW has recruited in the past? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just depends on what you're comparing it to. I mean, Kalen DeBoer came in this year in his first full cycle and signed a top 25 class. And I think what was impressive was that he addressed areas of need in that class. You mentioned, you know, the secondary. We know what the issues were with this Washington team. Is You know, quarterback play was a big, big issue. Secondary play in general, they signed six DBs. I mean, they, got, they brought in transfers. They signed freshmen. They signed three four-star kids. Uh, like you said, they locked up the, the top player in the state, Caleb Presley, who was committed to Oregon, flips to Washington. Um, they brought in just recently, they had a quarterback in the 2024 class reclassify and join a year early, say he's going to do that in, in Austin Mack, one of the top QBs in the country. So, I mean, the numbers in terms of it being a class that I think is ranked 23rd by 24-7 sports, that's, you know, that, that that's impressive. It, you know, it could be better, they, you know, in the height of the Chris Peterson era, they were right around 13 to 15. But I think when you look at where they're coming from, where under Jimmy Lake, the numbers had fallen to such an extent 
that uh, the, the rapid growth is impressive to see. And not only that, you can see what they're doing in terms of addressing areas where they really need to improve. All right. Uh, last uh, just 30 seconds or so here. Let's just talk about uh, literally what's next for Washington. What's on your plate, uh, Mike, and what's next for this program? On my plate next is lunch. I'm going to make a sandwich. Delicious. And I'm going to try to not do too much. We've had <laughs> um, some breaking news um, in the last couple of days that I try to not have in this offseason. But UW will be... Um, back on the field for spring practice the first week of March. They've got a couple practices. Right now they're in winter workouts. So it's supposed to be a quiet period. It has not been as quiet as some of us would hope, but we'll see how things go in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> All right, guys, keep your eyes peeled for Mike's work on the Seattle Times. Thank you so much. He is Mike Varell. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Uh, all right. Again, that was Mike Farrell joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, the second of our two interviews on what's going on with the Pac-12 and Washington here. Get some info there on the Pac-12 Media Rights latest. We are going to take a look at the pros here, jump into the NFL. And listen up, Cougs, including you, Bump. The Cougs stay Cougan. You guys are going to be very proud of no, one member. No. Of, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I didn't about? say go Cougs. What are you talking saying, about? I am saying, I'm not saying you Cougged it. That no. is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Cougs you didn't even, be Cougan. You even using Cougs it right. You're not even using it right. You're not even doing it right. Stay Cougan. And I'll explain it next. Goodness. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Taking a look around the NFL here. And as I said, the Cougs stay Coogan. I said what I said, Bump. Here's what I mean. You, you know what? You what? lucky you the lead of this show, what man. Because you, you be disrespecting. <laughs> How is that disrespecting? You don't even say Coogan. You just don't say that. Why don't you say Coogan? You don't say it. Well, I, I mean, I don't mean Coogan in like you guys, you know, lost nah. to Oregon when you were up multiple scores and completely blew it. I say nah. Coogan as in like, nah. as in like partying. You're just, you're just, you're just not doing Coogan, it right. When I think Coogan, I think like, okay, what do Cougs do? Cougs, I know, wear um, overalls and put beer in them slam and go to natty ice. Yes, yeah, slam natty, natty nah. eyes. Uh, you know, go to bars, who's, who's hang the cool out, professional? Really friendly. Who's the cool professional? You. All right, so I'm just trying to tell you, you doing it all wrong, but go ahead with your, with, with your little story. Oh, okay, well, here's my little story, and, and I know exactly what you're going to say when I finish reading the story. It's very quick. Jalen Watson, go Cougs. My uh, goodness gracious. former Coug, sorry, a forever Coug, I forgot. I'm supposed to say always, once a Coug, always a Coug. Got so wasted at the Chiefs Super Bowl parade that he had to be wheelchaired away from the team bus. He jokingly posted a picture of himself. He is in sweatpants with his head in his his head. One hand is holding up his head. He's got sunglasses on. He's being wheeled in a wheelchair by a member of security or maybe a policeman. I'm not sure. And he said, Chiefs Kingdom, y'all were responsible for this. You got to fight for your right to party, obviously. First off, Stacey. You're going to say go Cougs. Stacey Rost. This is not what Cougs do. What? Okay. If Can you listen to the professional, please? Okay. This is not what we do. Okay. We get slammered and we walk about it at thing. Okay? We make it home. We don't get carried <laughs> off in a wheelchair. Right? We don't do that. We get slammered and we make it happen. But Jalen Watson gets a pass. You know why? Because he's in tip-top shape. My man probably ain't touched a drink in weeks. He's got 2% body fat on him. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? He's dehydrated. He just got a little slammered and didn't do what Cougs do, which is walk that thing off, 
walk down Stadium Way, <laughs> make it to a dorm room or your boy's house, and you, and you lay down right there. Pass out. There's a photo <laughs> of him drinking straight from a bottle. Like, the bottle is tilted upside down into his mouth. He's having a great time, man. Good for him, too. He's got a really cool story. Yeah, good story, but, man, what happened to that New Year's resolution? I'm going to be a good friend. I'm not going to make fun of people no more. No, 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 no. My, my New Year's resolution was to be both the heel of the show and also a better person. Yeah. I think that I'm accomplishing both. Oh, I'm supporting gracious. all Cougs. I love Cougs. ESPN's Jeremy <laughs> Fowler suggested this week that the Rams, in need of cap space, could move on from a star, that being cornerback Jalen Ramsey. Bump Bleacher Report has a potential landing spot. Seattle. Nope. Thoughts? Nope. But Bump. Don't want Three-time first-team All-Pro has limited opposing quarterbacks to a sub-85 passer rating for two consecutive seasons. He's just 28 years old. Dude is a baller, one of the best corners in the league. We don't need that right now. I want big boys. I want the 6'4s, the 300s. That's what we need. Could we use them? Of course. Any team in the NFL can use a player like Jalen Ramsey. But we're talking about cap hits. We're talking about money. He's going to need about 17, 18 million on things. Minimum. I don't think it's worth it right now. Focus on the interior lineman. Uh, would you then roll into the season? Because this is kind of where I'm at. I liked what I saw from Drake Wollen so much that I'm like, you know what? I am okay with not making huge changes in the secondary and focusing instead almost exclusively on the front seven. Look, Mike Jackson didn't have a great year, had a good year. Tariq on the other side, he's good to go. And the safety's good to go. I'm I'm okay right now. So you got to see what Trey Brown's going to do. Wyman just texted us. Stacy, you said you were going to be nicer this year. That right. was your New Year's resolution. See? Nicer. I'm trying my best. See? Bump, go Cougs. You cannot say Why that. You're banned that? from saying that. Okay. Okay, fine. You know what? I'll be nice. I'll be so nice, so nice that I'm going to let you sound off on this next headline. NFL.com ranked its 68 starting quarterbacks from 2022. Yes, I know there are 32 teams, but they ranked any single quarterback who started a game. If you started a game, you were in this ranking. There were 68 of them. Gino Smith comes in. At number nine, let me read you one through eight. Tell me if you uh, disagree with any of these. Do you want to go in order? Just say yes or no. Sure. Okay. Patrick Mahomes, number one. Definitely. Obviously. Jalen Hurts, number two. Yep. Joe Burrow, three. Yep. Josh Allen, four. Yep. Justin Herbert, five. Yep. Trevor Lawrence, six. Eh. Okay. Tua Tagovailoa, seven. Eh. Jared Goff, eight. Eh. Gino, nine. Those are the three. Like, those last three are debatable. Yeah. I'm not mad at it. But those last three are debatable. I would definitely put him in front of our guy, Jared Goff, even though he had a good year. And speaking of Wyman, that's what Wyman's do. Wyman likes Jared Goff, too. I like. I I really liked the Lions this year. Were the Seahawks not to go to the playoffs, I would have. Now, the Lions wouldn't have qualified. They would have been eliminated. Oh, no, it would have been the winner of that game that goes. I like the Lions. I like Dan Campbell. That offense was underrated. They were yeah. top. I know they were top 10 in points per game. They might have been top five in points per game this year. Imagine if they would have found a way. A defense at all? Oh, no, actually, no, they did. Hawkinson's came over, right, from from the Vikings? Oh, he went to the Vikings. Never mind. Imagine they found a way to keep mm-hmm. Hawkinson. You still got a Monroe St. Brown over there. You got Jamal in the backfield. That offense, man, is going to be good to go. Need to pick up that defense, though. Yeah, it's just it's it's not great news uh, as far as uh, as that goes. 
All right, so we finally heard from new Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon, former defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, of course had to talk offense first because you have a star quarterback there in Arizona. His quote, he wants to build around, quote, elite quarterback Kyler Murray in Arizona. Of course he said that. Um, You had a team owner saying, uh, Bidwell saying, I think he came in with a vision and plan. It aligned where we wanted to get back to atop the NFC West competing in January for a Super Bowl, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then the vision is clearly to build around Kyler Murray. Um, He said, uh, you know, obviously they played against Kyler. It was a unique game plan to put together because of his skill set. He likes Kyler, yada, yada, yada. You guys get the picture. It's exactly what you would want to hear from a head coach in his opening press conference. How successful do you think they could be in building around Kyler, though? Because this is now no longer do you have Cliff to blame. Kyler, it's on you. Here's the thing. You have a franchise quarterback. This dude is talented. It's more mental, emotional with uh, Kyler Murray. He has all the tools. Can he study? Can he be held accountable? Can he lead? Those are the things holding him back. So you got to get him with a quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator that uh, understands him. And this is what you have to do to superstars or your highest paid player. As much as people hate it, you have to cater to their personality. Of course. That's what you do if you want to win. Well, and when they're paying uh, Kyler that much, too. From the 509, um, this is about partying for Cougs. When you fail to plan, then you must plan to fail. You got to pace yourself for these events. Yeah. My, guy, like a, my guy's been out the game for a minute, That's man. what I'm saying. Isn't that like a class they teach at Wazoo? Like just how to pace yourself? Yeah. And- you know, they teach it Thursday nights in the basement. <laughs> Go get it. What's the basement? You know, it used to be called Mike's Stubblefields. You walk down into this basement. Have Is you? that the one with the coog and the cougar is stuffed and it's up on the bar? Nah, that's the coog. Okay. <laughs> well, I've been no, there. No, that's Valhalla. Sorry. Valhalla. That's Bahala. where I went. That's I went Bahala. there and I went into the Walmart and I went into the stadium. Those three places are places that, that I've girl. been. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Go Kooks. All right. Still to come uh. on the show. <laughs> Coming up next, in fact, Mariners pitching coach, coach Pete Woodworth. Don't go anywhere.